What if you were able to sit down for lunch with some of the greatest leaders in the world? What would you ask? What would they say? Welcome to the Lynch with a Leader podcast, where you're invited to join us in learning the spiritual principles behind big success. Here's your host, Mike Lynch. Welcome to episode 19 of the Lynch with Leader podcast, where we sit down with some of America's greatest leaders and find out how they have led with their faith out in front. If I've never met you before, my name is Mike Lynch, and it is my honor to be on this leadership journey with you, as we are all seeking to be the leaders that we were created to be in the place that God has put us. And we've had an amazing first 18 episodes. My goodness, some incredible guests, learned some unbelievable things. But I think today is going to rank right up there at the top for you. The gentleman we're going to sit down with today is Dr. Sam Chan. He was named in the top 30 global leadership gurus list. And after about five minutes of listening to him, you will know why. He's been raised in a pastor's home in India. But even more than that, he's been a president, a janitor, a cook, a dishwasher. But now this guy bleeds leadership. His book, Leadership Pain, is a must-read for anyone in ministry. If you're a pastor or a youth pastor and you serve in a nonprofit, Leadership Pain is a great, great must-read for you. But his newest book, Bigger, Faster Leadership, is another one that is going to be one of those things. There's so many dynamic principles that are hidden in the pages of that book. You are going to absolutely love. Dr. Chan's vision is to help others succeed. And I promise you, a little bit of time with Dr. Chan today, and you will feel better about the task that's been put in front of you. So I want you to pull out something to write with. If you're driving right now, you're going to want to re-listen to it again to hear some of the principles that he teaches. But I want you to pull up a chair, listen in to my conversation with Dr. Sam Chand. Well, Dr. Chan, thank you so much for joining me this month on Lynch with a Leader. It is an honor to have you on board. It's an honor to be with you, and thank you for everything you're doing to add so much value to so many people. Well, thank you so much. I know when you're beginning a consulting relationship with pastors and and CEOs that you're working with, you often start with a question, tell me your story. Tell me a little bit of your story, Dr. Chan, and what's gotten you to where you are today? Well, I was born and raised in India in a pastor's home. Uh, Came to United States of America in 1973. my story is a, really a God story in which uh, I, I was a student. I was a student here in Atlanta at, uh, at that time of the Bible college, now it's a university. I was their janitor, breakfast cook, and dishwasher. That was from 1973 to 77. And I uh, uh, got married in 79, was a youth pastor outside Portland, Oregon. Then I was a senior pastor in a church in a little town called Hartford, Michigan. And then 1989, I came back to the same college university to be their president. So uh, that was a full cycle. And I've been, uh, I was the president from 1989 to 2003. And in 2004, I started doing full-time what I do now. I was doing that already for the last 10 years of my presidency, but 
I had to make, uh, you know, as to where I'm going to spend the rest of my life decision. And this is where I'm at, just serving leaders. I don't know it all, but I learn a lot every day. Every conversation teaches me, and I grow through that. It's been my honor and joy to serve leaders in ministry and marketplace, church, corporate, all over the world, uh, in so many different countries, and the United States of America. So, yeah, it's a, it's a joy, but that's a short and long of my story. I'm married, got married in 1979, been married to the same lady. <laughs> Uh, till now, uh, and that's the plan. I have two daughters, two granddaughters, and a son-in-law. So Got life it. is good. Uh, we live in Atlanta, so God's been good to us. What has changed about you most? So 1973, you begin as a student there at the college. You work your way into the presidency, into what you're doing, helping leaders now. What's changed most about you through those years, Dr. Chan? I think I've become more of an intentional learner, uh, realizing uh, that unlike those early days when I knew everything and had an opinion which was pretty dogmatic on everything, I, you know, all the way from theology to sociology, uh, including leadership and programming. Uh, but life has a way of uh, mellowing you, teaching you. Uh, I'm 65 now, so life has a way of uh, of instructing you. Mm-hmm. And if you want to be instructed or don't want to be instructed, it'll still instruct you. So in my life, I've chosen to be a lifelong student, lifelong learner. Uh, I think the great that's the greatest thing. I mean, so many things have changed, obviously. Uh, because by the age of 65, you know, you can name uh, 100 plus things that have changed. But in my attitude, uh, it doesn't matter where I'm at, I'm trying mm-hmm. to learn. Even through uh, chaotic periods, it's a, it's a growth time for me. So learning leads to growth, and that's what I'm committed to. Because if I'm not growing, I definitely cannot help anybody else grow. You know, and it's funny you say that, Dr. Chan, because people, I think, would look at you and go, well, I mean, you've figured out leadership. I mean, you've written two incredible books, more than those, but two incredible books that I've read. But you figure this thing out, but you really never figure it all out, do you? No, life is life is ever changing. Life is dynamic. If it was static, then we'd figure it all out. But there's nothing in life that is static. Even a study of geography keeps changing. Study of history uh, keeps changing. Study of sociology, politics, uh, computer science, you know, even mathematics. Uh, the, the way I did math is very different from the way my grandkids are doing math. Mm. Uh, it's the same numbers. So life is not static. It is dynamic. It is shifting. And we have to just continue to grow and learn with it. So every day, every day, every day I'm learning. Every time I'm consulting with somebody, they don't realize it, but they are teaching me more than I'm teaching them. Well, that is good. That is so good. And I know it's your vision to help others succeed. That's your stated vision to help others succeed. Is that something that's morphed through the years that you've arrived at that? Or is that something that began for you even as a youth pastor and pastor? I think that has been me all along. That has been, no, I did not have it in those words, but I've always, I've always been drawn to serving others. So, and I'm not saying that in uh, some kind of a braggadocious, arrogant manner, 
you know, I'm not proud of my humility. Uh, <laughs> I am simply saying I've always been drawn to assist others and help others and uh, helping others. If that means them succeeding, then that's what it means. So it's, oh, maybe a, f a few years ago, uh, it kind of came together, those three words, helping others succeed. Mm. Because I know that my success is tied up in somebody else's success. So uh, if even on this podcast right now, if I can help you succeed, uh, then I'm successful. Mm. If I'm consulting with somebody, if I help them succeed, I'm successful. In writing books, if I can help you succeed through my writings, then I'm successful. Because if I help you succeed, you're going to buy more of my books to give to more people. And uh, that somehow, somewhere makes it back to me. Uh, so yeah, I'm just, I'm not just something that is just who I am. That's good. Well, and you can tell it flows out of who you are. There's no doubt about that. You know, this whole podcast, you and I had a little conversation before we got on about the whole the whole background of this podcast is about not just being a great leader, but being a spiritual leader. What made Jesus such a great leader? I know in one of the interviews I've seen, you've talked a lot about the leadership style of Jesus. What made Jesus such a great leader? I think he said it himself. He said, who, he who wants to be greatest among you, let him be a servant. So I think I just, uh, the self-proclaimed uh, nugget about Jesus' leadership is that he knew he came to serve. Uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist intrigues me. Uh, John the Baptist was placed on this planet with only one purpose, and that is to prepare the way of the Lord. He was not there to preach about himself. Uh, he was there to preach about Jesus. One day he was standing on the street corner with his disciples, and he pointed his finger at Jesus, who was on the other side of the street, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so Jesus, in turn, turns around and says this about John the Baptist, that John the Baptist was the greatest man hmm. ever to be born of woman. Now, now uh, if you... Now, remember, he's saying that to the Jewish people, the Jewish community, the people who are following him. So in saying so, he elevated John the Baptist above Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, all the prophets that were read. And he elevated this man who was dressed in leather, eating organic food, <laughs> You know, uh, had had no social skills. Uh, <laughs> he called out people and their and their daddy's daddy and their grandpa and their grandchildren, and uh, really not the cultured, sophisticated, uh, debonair by any means. But Jesus, I think, picked him out because he John the Baptist was here with a singular vision to help Jesus succeed to elevate Jesus. He knew that if he was not the one, there was one coming after him. He said that himself. So I think whenever you serve people, and then Jesus said, he who wants to be the greatest, uh, be the servant of them all. I think servanthood is the, was the key to Jesus' ministry and John the Baptist's ministry. And, uh, you know, you, you look at the greats, 
in the Bible, that was what they did. Do you think you can be a spiritual leader leading? And I think spiritual leading would be leading like Jesus would have led. Can you be a spiritual leader and not be a servant? Is that even possible? And that's not possible because by definition, leadership is servanthood. That's right. You know, you, you lead others by serving them. You don't lead others by beating them down or pushing them or pulling them or cajoling them or meditating them. You lead others by serving them. Uh, and, and so I don't think you can be a leader unless you have a heart of a servant, because if you don't have a heart of a servant, uh, your manipulative behavior or passive aggressive responses, uh, your emotional blackmail is going to show itself. But if you are, if you are, if you're a servant at heart, uh, your leadership will emerge out of that. So, so what if a, a CEO or a business leader or a coach is listening in and they go, I want to lead that way, but I, I'm not really bent towards servanthood. Is that something they can grow in? And if so, how can they learn to begin to grow in that servanthood? I think that's a, that's a very introspective thing. You know, I would ask myself, uh, how can I serve somebody today? So it, it could be a mere Thank you. How are you doing to the lady as you are uh, going through the drive-through? <laughs> you know, it's it, it just how do I serve somebody? You, you walk through your office and you stop for an extra 45 seconds at the receptionist's desk and say, how are you doing? How's the family today? Uh, is there anything I can do to serve you? Uh, so in your, in your environment, if you're a coach on a football team or a baseball, whatever it might be, uh, just to see how you can serve the parents as, as you're serving the school, as you're serving your professional, as you're serving that young person, uh, how can you serve the parents? How can you serve the locker room staff? Uh, so it's just being aware of serving opportunities all around us. And they are everywhere. Uh, as you're checking out of the grocery store, just an extra five seconds to greet the person who is checking you out. Uh, the, so serving is not necessarily uh, the big thing that people think about. It doesn't need a program, doesn't need money. Uh, all those are helpful, but just having a heart of servanthood. Uh, letting somebody cut ahead of you on 285. <laughs> <laughs> now that's getting personal now. We need to stay out of that. I know, I know. It is, it is, it is opening the door for somebody. You know, just, just, it, it's not the big stuff because it's when it becomes your lifestyle, everything is important. Well, that's really good because I think so many times we look at it and we go, "Well, I know we just did a personality training inventory with our staff this morning." We look at it and we go, "Well, that's not in my personality. That's not in my gift mix." But we can all begin with small things and begin to serve other people. And I love, I love how you do that. You know, you have a real unique vantage point, Dr. Chan, because you work with pastors that are pastoring local churches, and then you work with leaders of some of the largest organizations in the world. What are things that there uh, that cause those two things to be alike? And what are ways that those two worlds are very different? They used to be more different than they are today. Uh, so corporations, for example, are more 
socially aware. Uh, they know that they had their ramifications. They are serving. Uh, For-profit corporations now have volunteers and interns, which was uh, <laughs> left only to the domain of uh, uh, nonprofits and churches, uh, community organizations. Uh, so, so the lines are blurring. Now, the bottom lines are blurring as well. It used to be uh, corporate greed uh, was translated into dollars, and much of that is still there. But uh, responsible servanthood-oriented leaders are changing that now. And they are seeing how can we serve humanity? How can we make life better for other people? Uh, small things like uh, you, you see apps on your phone. There's so many apps that are there just to help somebody uh, live a better quality of life. You're sitting at a restaurant and, and you want to know, is this healthy that I'm eating? Even though you know it's unhealthy, <laughs> you, you, you have an app that tells you, yeah, you know, you shouldn't, but if you do, don't eat that much. It's, those apps are uh, serving humanity. So the lines are blurring. Now, at the end of the day, uh, in, the, in the church world, uh, you as a pastor count uh, the bottom line, your net gain by souls saved. Uh, hell is emptier. Heaven is fuller. Uh, people who are engaged in the life of the church. Uh, as a corporate uh, leader, I still have shareholders and stockholders, and I have to create uh, tangible uh, monetary value for those who are investing in that vision. So there are differences there, but those differences are getting blurred because we all want to serve uh, God's creation, uh, all the way from green uh, to making sure that people live a better quality of life. That's really good. You know, you and I, before we got on the air, we were talking about your book, Leadership Pain, and I was sharing with you how influential that book was in my journey and just capturing capturing so many of the feelings and emotions that I know I've experienced in the role that I've been in. What made you write that book? What, what, what was the impetus to go, you know what, I need to take these things and put them in a book form? What drove you to write that, Dr. Chan? I, you know, I do a lot of what I call leadership roundtables, uh, in which uh, I get 20 leaders together, and we spend a whole day together, set from nine to five, and we drill down, instead of doing like a, in which there's a potpourri of everything, nothing wrong with that, but I do a lot of leadership roundtables uh, that usually other people organize, and I, I go and do that for them. In those roundtables, the questions are different than the questions you get asked on a podcast or a webinar or you know something like that when you have thousands of people uh, watching or listening. So in those roundtables, the questions that start emerging start taking categories. And one of the bigger questions that started coming up again and again was, so, Dachian, you get to travel and consult with all these uh, places. Uh, what differentiates a CEO of a large corporation from a CEO of a smaller corporation? What is the differentiating factor between a mega church pastor who's got 12, 10, 12, 15, 20 
100,000 people in their church uh, versus uh, pastors who are pastoring smaller churches, who had the potential to grow, but still serving smaller churches. And I started thinking about that question quite deeply. And I concluded it is not uh, uh, leadership skills, it is not administration skills, it is not staff, it is not finances, it is not communication skills. It is their ability to handle pain, the major differentiating factor. So in that book that you read, uh, the, I built that book on one simple sentence. And the sentence is very clearly marked in that book again and again. And here's a sentence. You will grow only to the threshold of your pain. You will grow only to the threshold of your pain. So uh, a, a pastor of a church of, say, 5,000 has to have a higher pain threshold than a pastor of 150 to 200. Uh, a CEO who's got thousands of employees and multi-gazillion dollar budget and shareholders uh, has a higher pain threshold than somebody who is just emerging as a leader. So that is what motivated me to write that book. Leadership roundtables that I was doing, questions that were asked, sent me into an orbit of saying, so what is the difference? And the difference is their pain threshold. And so I wrote a whole book called Leadership Pain. It's doing crazy good and never, never, I'm, I'm gonna say this to you, I never expected it to do what it has done and the, and the places that it is being read. It is just, I'm just totally flabbergasted by that. But that also tells me that pain is universal. You know, there's a, there's a statement that I heard a long time ago in seminary and, and the, the professor, the teacher that week made a statement. His statement was that which is most personal is most universal. And I think what you were able to do is you tapped in on what was so personal. And I think you've come at free from your roundtables have been so true. It is so universal. And, you know, and I even look and, and I don't know a leader. I don't know a leader personally that hasn't at some point had the white towel out ready to wave it and go, you know, it's not worth it. I, I, I can't, my, my threshold has been, I think my threshold has been reached and, you you begin to open up in smaller environments and get, everybody's felt that way at some point and you can't escape it can you i mean it is your your statement it is universal there's nothing a leader can do no matter how small or large to avoid pain can they no no and i think people who avoid pain avoid growth mm. oh that's good so you can create a ceiling by uh, tapping out of your pain and if you numb your pain, you'll never learn from it. And if you medicate your pain, you'll never learn from it. So uh, that's my, the first chapter in that book is called Leadership Leprosy. And that, you know, just, you start numbing your pain and it becomes neurological. But, but leaders who know that the price of promotion is pain, that the higher you go, the more pain you're going to have, if you don't want any more pain, I think you can be happy where you're at. And, and I, know, I know many, many, many leaders who have made that conscious decision. This is it. I'm not going to take any more pain. 
<clears throat> so they <clears throat> start, excuse me, start living their life like that, their behaviors. Uh, but the most uh, telling is the decisions they make, the kind of hires that they make, the kind of risks that they will take, the kind of people that they will associate with, the kind of uh, insecurities that they start perpetuating around themselves, the kind of culture that they start creating around themselves. It just, uh, their behaviors and their decisions tell me the decisions they have made and the choices they've made to not grow anymore. How, how in your own journey, and I know you've I'm sure walked through many years and you discuss it in the book of that leadership pain, how have you seen God use that pain, which I think is the whole story of scripture, to make you into who you are today? Uh, I think the whole uh, thing is captured in the imagery of the potter and the clay. <laughs> and, exactly right. uh, you know, uh, if the clay had pain attached to it and the potter is working with uh, her or his fingers uh, and sometimes even just crushing it to start all over again, uh, it is, uh, we are that, you know, we are in the potter's hands. And, and the scriptures say that the clay cannot say to the potter, uh, why, why are you doing this to me? Uh, why didn't you make me this and not that? And, and why is it, why are you hurting me like that? The, the clay really uh, comes into its own when it recognizes that the potter knows better. So while I'm hurting, when I'm going through pain, uh, all I know is I'm hurting, but there's somebody who knows better and he is not uh, a sadist. He is not inflicting pain on me just for his pleasure. Uh, it is his pleasure that I increase, and he knows for me to increase, I have to go through this. Uh, and so uh, I think it is uh, the theological word that you would use as a pastor, the sovereignty of God. Mm. And once I am uh, totally sold on what sovereignty really means and what sovereignty really is, uh, that I can you know, do what needs to, uh, to happen in my own decision-making and choices of life. Uh, that is, I'm telling you, if you're a leader out there, that is, number one, it's a must-read. Number two, what he just said is so on point for where we all live. And, uh, man, you are spot on. And I love that your new book, uh, Bigger, Faster Leadership, is, is definitely a different take on it. And you go in and you start talking about the Panama Canal. And I love that imagery. And what you learned in watching the Panama Canal and learning the story from it and comparing it to leadership, how, how much did that whole imagery drive everything you wrote about in the book? Was it the, the main catalyst, Dr. Chan, for everything you wrote? It was the main catalyst. I gotta tell you this. I'm stand, I was standing there for the first time and the only time I've been there. Uh, and as I was watching construction take place and the enlargement of the canal, I wrote a seminal thoughts and points of the book on my phone, standing right there, standing right there. I still have those notes. Stand, I, when I got home, I printed them out, standing right there. I wrote that because that book is built on the sentence that your size and your speed are controlled by your systems and structures. 
So most organizations uh, are always morphing the systems and structures because everyone wants to be bigger and everyone wants to be bigger faster. And it is, uh, for example, at a church or a company, a corporation, uh, you don't need more vision. Uh, <laughs> what you need is upgraded systems and structures. And usually, you know, we are driving, looking through our rear view rather than our windshield. So the systems and structures uh, are messy to work with because at the end of each box on your organizational flowchart, in there is a name. And uh, uh, you want to move that box, but that name does not want to move with the box. So, uh, you know, we end up dealing with personalities and hence the pain. The pain is uh, I want to change my systems and structures, but to change my systems and structures, uh, I'll have to go through organizational pain. And organizational pain will come back to become personal pain because uh, there'll be misunderstandings and miscommunications and you'll be blamed for things you never thought about and you'll be demonized and ostracized. So we don't want to deal with that pain. And then we make a conscious choice saying, you know, I know what needs to change, but if I change that, then this will happen. And when that happens, there'll be pain. Therefore, why do I want to go through that pain? And we leave it alone. And But yeah, that book is doing really good. Bigger, faster leadership. It's available everywhere. I, I love you. You have some quotes I wanted to ask you about in the book. You, you made a statement, compelling needs have always inspired bold action. Why is that so true that it took a compelling need to drive somebody to do something? Well, you think about the word compelling itself. Compelling means somebody forces you. Compel means you have no options. Compel is when you feel like you are in a place, you make, have to make that tough choice. Uh, when you realize that that staff person has to go. Uh, when you realize that the leadership at your church is holding you back. Uh, if you don't feel compelled, you will not take the bold actions because those are bold actions. When you, when you feel compelled that unless you make this drastic change, your company is gonna go bankrupt. Uh, it is, uh, unless you uh, deal with the situation, uh, you are headed in a bad place. Once you see reality and know you don't have the options and see where the train is going, uh, you will pull on the chain. And you will, you will take the bold actions that are needed. Unfortunately, most leaders wait too long. And so they have a bigger mess on their hands than they normally would. Yeah, and I, and I love that. And I love how in the book, too, and I hope everybody grabs this book, and we'll have a link to it in our show notes, how you walk through the different phases. And we have all the entrepreneurial phrase, the emerging, the established, the erosion the enterprising, where do most organizations and churches and leaders get in trouble? What's one of those phases do you find becomes the most fatal to organizations? Middle stages of being established. You know, that is where systems are working, people are coming, product is moving, uh, you, your Twitter following, your Instagram following is high, uh, things are happening. And you've heard it said again and again that the worst enemy of uh, tomorrow's success is today's success. 
so we get complacent and we start thinking that this is working, but we don't realize that nothing in life is static. It's all dynamic. It's all changing. And therefore, unless you are willing to continue to change with that and keep uh, taking inventory of the metrics and not just the metrics, but the feelings behind it, because sometimes you can sense it and not see it. If you, you know, sometimes you will not see something rotting, but you will smell it. Uh, so, mm. you know, be aware of your, your senses tell you something, your gut tells you something. But yeah, that's where most organizations get into trouble is in the middle stages or the early stages of getting established. Towards, and the larger the organization, the harder it is to spot the cracks. So uh, if you've got a church of, say, 5,000 people, for example, it might take a number of months, in some cases even years, before you see the cracks happening. But if you're a church of 50, you will see the cracks right away. Yeah, so mm. the larger the organization, the longer it takes to see the cracks in the foundation. And I think we all have this, we all have this thing inside every leader. We look around and I think Twitter, Instagram, Facebook has caused this, everything's right in front of us. And it's so easy to compare. It's so easy to go, well, I'm not, we were talking about a mutual friend of ours, Bo Adams. I'm not Bo. My church isn't Bo's church or my, my organization isn't his organization. And you, you made a statement. You said, we need to recognize the insidious nature of comparison that often lurks undetected in our minds and hearts. Why is comparison so dangerous for a leader? Comparison by itself is not dangerous. It is what it makes us think and feel, and therefore mm. it gets translated into behaviors and choices. That is dangerous. So for me to compare myself, uh, if you're a coach listening to me, you create competition. And you, uh, and so you, if it's a, it's a hundred yard dash, you know, you, you compare yourself and that's how you get better because you, you use that as a motivating tool. Uh, and the athletes saw that as a motivation to get better, but the same athlete could also feel like I'm never going to be able to do that. Or the coach might start uh, positioning them in ways that uh, contribute to the same thinking that you're not going to be that good. Well, then that comparison becomes insidious. It becomes uh, demoralizing. It becomes negative. Uh, it just creates problems. So comparison by itself can be healthy. It is what it makes us feel and think and hence the choices and decisions we make out of that, that create, that make comparison bad. Do you find you ever reach a point in life when working with the leaders that you work with that people become immune to it being unhealthy and getting to that point? Or could that happen to a leader at it can any happen time? To any time. Any, again, it's going, what's going on inside of me. For example, if today I'm going through a secure day, Things are good in my family. Things are good financially. I'm feeling good physically. My spiritual walk is good. And I'm feeling good and secure. Then that same comparison may not bother me today. 
But tomorrow might be another day in which the same thing, same incident, same person, same context really come back to bother me. So, you know, it is it is it has to do with the person and what's going on in their life at that time. That is why it's so important for healthy leaders to be in tune with who they are, what they're going through, because we always interpret life through ourselves. That's good. You made a statement, and I love this, and and you always hear the phrase, well, you learn from your experiences. And your statement was, we don't learn from our experiences. We learn from reflecting on our experiences. Do you find it hard? Uh, Do you see that working with leaders, it's hard for them to reflect back on their experiences because they're moving so fast ahead? You find Absolutely. A lot of the work that I do as a consultant does help people reflect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, because I, I think sometimes uh, at a higher level of leadership, people who can help you think, help you reflect, uh, take you on journeys on the inside. It's when you're hurting, when you're disengaged, when you're discontented, when you're insecure, a reflection is difficult. Uh, it's, it's hard to do surgery on yourself. And that is where it's important to bring in somebody that you trust, that uh, not only can they, they have character, but they have competency as well and help you to uh, grow through that. Because if you don't do that, then that same thing will take you down. What's the toughest part of leadership for you? As you've led organizations, you're leading your organization now, you're leading other leaders. What's the hardest part of leadership for you, Dr. Chan? What I started with, hardest part is growing all the time. Because it is easy to stop growing. It is easy to say, hey, you know, I speak at conferences, I do leadership roundtables, I write books, I know a whole lot. And... (laughs) And, and that will be, you know, that's the killer of uh, what needs to happen. So for me, uh, self-development, self-growth, self-leadership, uh, maturity, uh, not just in my head space, but in my heart space, in my emotions, in my relationships, in my family, in my marriage, uh, with my children, uh, with my friends. Uh, if I stop growing, but that is that is hard to do. Because relate, for example, growing in relationships, relationships uh, do not uh, continue on their own. They are not an autopilot. They're not in cruise control. If you really want relationships to grow, you've got to take and be an interested party to make sure it does grow. So uh, yeah, my greatest battle is growing daily. And do you find, do you find even sometimes, even in what you do that you can easily miss? Why does God even have me in this and do it through a natural vantage point where you're just using those innate gifts that you have, but maybe not working on that bigger purpose. Is that a struggle sometimes for you as well? That's always a struggle. That's always a struggle because uh, when you become unconsciously competent when you don't know what you know uh that's just easy to 
easy to do, you know? Yeah. And that is that's definitely a self uh that's a place that is hard to stay out of. Mm. What was your toughest day of leadership? What's been the toughest thing that God's had to bring you through that leadership pain moment for you that's helped create you into who you are today? I don't know uh, that uh, I've had so many of them. I think my toughest day still lies ahead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> true. Yeah. You're probably right. Yeah. Sadly, so, you're sadly so, you right. Know, uh, I've had tough days as a university president. I've had tough days as pastor. I've had tough days as a consultant. Uh, I've had tough days in my marriage. I've had tough days with my children. Yep. So I don't know, you know, the, when you're having a tough time, is the toughest time you ever had. That's exactly You know, right. when you're having a jaw pain, a toothache, or a earache, you know, is the, is the worst pain you ever had. So, uh, but I think my toughest days are still ahead. Mm. Well, Dr. Chan, thank you for all you've done. Thank you for all you're doing to help inspire people. And you really are living out that vision that you've laid out for yourself to help other people succeed. You're doing an amazing job. So thank you so much for being on here today. Your time has meant the world to me, and I know it has meant the world to everybody who's been able to listen well, in. It has been an honor and joy to serve you. And to all the listeners, life is good. Life is good. Life is good. Keep reminding yourself in your toughest spot, you're still better off than most of the world. So keep reminding yourself life is good. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I don't know if I've ever heard anyone else articulate that our threshold of pain will dictate our ability to grow. Well, isn't that true? You know, I think back in my time in ministry and my time meeting with a lot of leaders and my time getting to know people, nobody just arrives. Nobody just gets there unscathed. We all have our scars. We all have our stories. Sometimes, though, the ones that stay in it the longest and accomplish the most are the people that have gone through the most to get where they are. You know, you look at their lives and you want the place that they're in but you don't want what it took to get to the place that they're in. And that concept of how God uses pain in our journey is absolutely amazing. And you know, you think about it. If we're going to be a spiritual leader, if we're going to be the person that God created us to be, we're going to go through some adversity. We're going to go through some times that shape us. We're going to go through some times that form us. We're going to go through some times that even break us at times so we can be the people that God created us to be. If you've not gone out and picked up that book, I hope that you will. It will be a book that you'll reference so many times. Dr. Chan's website is so good, and we'll have a link to it, samchand.com. It'll be in our show notes. It's a great place to go visit to listen to some of his newest stuff. Bigger, Faster Leadership on the Building of the Canal. Incredible. Some of the principles that he picked up during that time. And what I love about Dr. Chan, God used so many of his life experiences to help make him who he is today. And here's the beautiful thing for you. He's going to use your life experiences 
to help make you who you are becoming as well. I remember where I was when I sat down and read that book. And I remember the power that book held in my life because it spoke into some things I didn't understand. It spoke into some things I wished had never happened. It spoke into some things that I had done everything I could to get around. But yet God took me through them for a reason. And God's going to take you through them for a reason too. Don't give up hope. His work is is working in you. Just keep in step with him every day. You know, every episode we have a a word. The word for him is endurance. If you will endure, if you will make it, if you will hang in there, God won't waste that time. James tells us that, doesn't it? James tells us that we're going to face trials of various kinds, multicolored trials. But that testing of our faith is going to produce endurance and let endurance have its perfect result that we may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. And that's God's program for you as a leader. I hope that you enjoyed today. Hope that you'll share it with a good friend. Man, it's something we all need to hear, isn't it? Well, next month in our next episode, we get to sit down with Kevin Burrell. Kevin is a professional baseball scout with Chicago White Sox. But beyond what he does for a living, Kevin is an amazing leader and an amazing follower of Christ. And you are going to enjoy it. Well, thanks again for joining us on this episode of Lynch with a Leader. Share it with a friend. But until then, until we meet again next time, go be the leader that God created you to be. Thank you for listening to the Lynch with a Leader podcast with your host, Mike Lynch. If you enjoyed this episode, you can help more people hear it by subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you may be listening. For full episode notes and more spiritual leadership resources, visit MikeLynch.com.